I'm going to start with a little recap, because I don't know about you, but I got absolutely rocked by Pastor Ian's message on Sunday. Wasn't it good? So, Pastor Ian, I don't know if you know this or not, but I uh, was spending my time wisely on Facebook this week, and I found a video. (laughs) And I've asked them to play it. This is what I'm picturing creative suffering to be. I'll recap for those of you who weren't here on Sunday. But please, tell me if this is if this is pretty accurate or not, okay? about to make it to the other side. If you let the video go, he makes it. And what the Lord started telling me was <laughs> that guy went in prepared. He had his helmet on. He had a suit on. And even though there were things flying at him, knocking him in the head like you said, he found a creative way to somehow get through. <laughs> so what Pastor Ian talked about was obeying God. And then if you remember on the whiteboard, he drew an arrow. Obey God arrow get blessed and the arrow was creative suffering is how he termed it which rocked me it was awesome I haven't heard that before and I've actually shied away from using the word suffering in the past but he said creative suffering and he also said it's similar to effort so obey God use some creative effort and get blessed all right, so this weekend I have a, a quick story. This, or actually on Monday, I went to Toronto to the One of the Kind show with my aunt and my cousin. And we were wandering around these vendors, a thousand plus vendors. And you know when you're at craft shows, there's like the good booths and then there's the booths where you're like, oh boy. <laughs> uh, we walked by one where there's a stuffed animal booth and they all had angry faces. <laughs> And we were like, okay, you missed the memo that kids like happy faces on their stuffed animals. So you know that there's these booths that you're like, okay. And then there's the ones that are so creative and they pull you in and you want to buy stuff and they're set up really nice at these markets and all these uh, one-of-a-kind shows. So we were walking by booths and every time we were drawn to a booth, we went in and we'd ask them where they were from. Where would they say? Montreal. Then we walk to the next booth. Oh, we love your booth. You're so creative. Where are you from? Oh, Montreal. With a bit of an accent (laughs) that I'm not going to try to do. Then we walk to the next booth. Where are you from? Montreal. Montreal, Montreal, Montreal. All the ones that we were drawn into that had this super creative, unique display were from Montreal. So I decide when I get home to Google, uh, I Googled Montreal entrepreneurship was my Google search. And I'm thinking I'm going to find, you know, when they're in the womb, they're teaching these Montreal people how to, like, invest. And in grade two, they learn (laughs) how to start a company. And, you know, that's what I thought I'd, I'd find. But let me read to you the headlines. Google search, Montreal entrepreneurship. Montreal, 
Worst city in Canada for entrepreneurs study says. Second one. Why Montreal is the absolute worst place in Canada to run a business. Go Google Montreal entre entrepreneur and that will come up. Now, most entrepreneurs know the financial climate of their region, no? We knew it in Fort Erie. Pastors knew it when they started a church here. And what I began to realize was that those entrepreneurs at the show I saw, and there had to be a hundred of them from Montreal that we were absolutely blown away with, they embraced creative suffering. They knew the financial climate for business in their region, and yet they pushed through with some effort and they shone at this event and it was not even close. How cool is that? So the Lord really is, is pointing that out to me, just these roadblocks. And it can be like Pastor Tina was just saying, losing that fire is a roadblock. And that involves creative effort to get around. And this is, this is good. Hang on to this, where Pastor Ian is going with this. So tonight's focus, obey God, effort, get blessed. So the Holy Spirit said to me, and has been saying to me, I'm with VSR students on Wednesdays, which I absolutely love. And he's been saying and chatting with me and saying, Julia, speak on what, I've, what you've walked through and areas you've had victory in. And he's been very stern with me to keep it in those lanes for right now. So tonight I'm going to do the same. And on that continuum, obey God, get blessed, he's asked me to focus tonight on the obeying God part. So tonight's message is called Courageous Obedience. And that's where we're going. So I have had a mentor my whole life named Jessica Williams. <laughs> Formerly known as Jessica McDonald. <laughs> I have also watched my parents since I was a young kid bring every decision that they ever made towards the heart of the Father and ask, God, what is your will? I've watched my family members, my aunts and uncles, many of them do this. I have um, been taught since I was a child to present my request to God. I've been taught as a child to ask Jesus what his will was, to give me his perspective and to make decisions from that place. I am so grateful for that and I don't take it for granted even though I was kicking and screaming many a time. <laughs> so back in the day, even I remember my parents in high school, they took me to multiple high schools you know how you go to the interviews and you're usually looking for do they have good teachers, is a good student to teacher ratio, and all these things when you go to open houses? My parents didn't care about that. They said, I want you to walk through the halls and see what you feel. And I want you to follow your peace and let us know what you feel when you walk in the halls. Do you, like, what are you hearing the Lord say about this school? So back from my high school decision, I prayed about it. Then I prayed about which university to go to. Then I prayed about if I should date Caleb. <laughs> Congratulations, you passed. And you got by Jess, which is not easy. <laughs> then life started getting real as I got older, and I had to make real adult decisions. 
Do you ever look back on your decisions and think, oh man, even high school, which seems like a little decision, which one you'll go to? Oh man, imagine what my life would have been if I went to that and not this. God knows. When I finished Brock, I had a decision to make. I had missed the deadline to get into Toronto Chiropractic School by three days. I decided I wanted to be a chiropractor that day. (laughs) (laughs) After a whole other journey. (laughs) of prayer and yeses and noes. So I missed the Toronto deadline, so I was faced with a decision on if I was going to move home, sorry, if I was going to move away from home or stay and not go to chiropractic school. And I remember this was a really tough one. It involved a lot of factors, which may seem little to you, but, you know, leaving my sister at home. She were only two of us, so I knew that she wouldn't have any other siblings leaving my parents, leaving this church, which I, I, there was just so many factors. I had been dating Caleb for four years, and we knew we wanted to get married, and it meant delaying. There were so many factors that went into that, and I was spinning. And my parents did the smart thing. They took me out of my hurricane mode, and they brought me to up north to Lake Abase, to the cottage. And they brought me on a three-day retreat to pray. And I went before the Lord and I said, God, I'm feeling in my heart like I'm supposed to go, but I'm so afraid, so I think I'm going to stay. <laughs> yeah. Lord, I feel like you're giving me the choice, A or B, and I'm choosing to stay. <laughs> And if I had stopped on day one, it probably would have ended like that. But my parents were smart, and they know that you sometimes with these hard decisions have to go deep and keep going deep into the heart of the Father and really ask, what is your will, God? What is your will, God? What is your will, God? I don't mean that in a robotic sense. I'm going to say this a couple times tonight. Like, not, I have no will. Whatever you say, Lord, I will do. (laughs) It's not like that. It's gaining heaven's perspective, and then you want it. It's not, I want to do this, God wants me to do that, God stinks. It's not like that. It may feel like that for a second, but it's only temporary because when you gain heaven's perspective and you gain the heart of the Father, you get a craving on the inside of you for the things he wants. So I go to the lake and I'm at the lake and I'm sitting on the end of the dock and I have my journal, like if you've heard my dad talk, (laughs) I have my journal ready, speak Lord. Your servant is listening. (laughs) And Jesus shows me a picture of me and him on a canoe on like a base. And where I'm sitting, he's sitting. He says, stand up. I said, no. (laughs) The canoe will tip over and I don't want to get wet. I'm picturing this in my head. I said, you first. He said, stand up. So in the vision, I stood up in the canoe, and I cannot tell you how much courage came over me the minute I stood up, and I knew I was going to Atlanta. And I knew that I had in that moment the courage to obey him. Fast forward after Atlanta. We're going somewhere, guys. After Atlanta, I had spent four years training to be a chiropractor. I worked my tail off 
to also train in entrepreneurial business training to be able to open a practice. About six months before I knew I had to pre present my wish and desire, even though I hadn't really prayed about it because I was so consumed in school, I presented my desire to open a practice to my mentors. <laughs> Again, and I said, I'm going to go into prayer about this. Will you guys pray with me? So I go into prayer about this, and I'm like, something is wrong, but I've been working for four years towards opening a practice. And what will people think about me if I don't? Well, after a long prayer process, myself and my mentors got that I was supposed to pause. That was so hard for me. But Jesus came and met me again, like he did on the canoe, with the courage to obey him. And I can stand here and tell you, I now have a day I can give to my husband's business. I now have a day I can spend with the VSR students and then adjust them all afternoon, which is so fun. I now have a job where I work two days at home, and it's chiropractic-related, patient care-related, and I have a floater day where I go do fun things like one-of-a-kind market. <laughs> and that's, I, I realize I'm in a season of pause, but when I look now, in my position now, and think, what would I be like now if I had a practice? I don't want it. What I wanted so badly, and would have just blindly, if I didn't know this process of pre presenting my request to God and asking for heavenly perspective, I would have blindly bulldozed my way into owning a practice in this area, and it probably would have been doing great, but I would have been doing miserably. <laughs> he and his opinion matters in our decisions. The Lord brings about promises in different ways, and sometimes we don't see it as fulfilled promises right away because it's not logical to us, or it's just plain different. I mean, he sent in a choir before an army in the Old Testament. Whoever heard the word from heaven to send a choir in was probably like, okay. <laughs> Courageous obedience required, and that's what broke that battle, even though it made no logical sense. So why do we choose to live like this? Number one, I have confidence that he knows me. Psalm 33, he made their hearts so he understands everything they do. He made their hearts, my heart, your heart, so he understands everything you do. I have confidence that he knows me. Number two, Romans 12, you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Some people don't necessarily believe in this kind of thing where we ask God for his will regarding a situation. They're like, just do what you want. What do you feel? I don't know about you, but the word says there's a good, pleasing, and perfect will, so I want to know it. Right. Romans 8, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us believers in harmony or in accordance with God's own will. So when we pray in tongues, we're interceding for the will of the Father. When we pray in tongues regarding our promised land or our promise, we're interceding in accordance with the will of the Father. 
Every, next one, fourth one. Everything works for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. The word purpose comes from a word called prophesis. And this word suggests a deliberate plan, an advanced plan, an intention, a design. An advanced plan, an intention. We are called towards his purpose. Purpose, advanced plan, intention. That works for our good. When we go to him and present our requests and say, God, what do you think about this? Should I go left or right? It works for our good because there's already an advanced plan. We're just seeking the heart of the Father to figure out what that is. It's the glory of kings to search it out. In my experience, and this is not necessarily for everybody, but like I said, in my experience, it's never been, both are great, pick one. That's a fallback for, in a lot of circumstances. Not all, for sure not all, for sure not all, but when you hear that, if you hear that, seek mentorship and keep pushing. In my experience, it's never been, both are great, pick one. <laughs> when I look back on the decisions I've made, both weren't great. Now I know that. When we wholeheartedly go after the heart of the Father, seeking his will, we will desire what he desires. Romans 8, letting the spirit affect your mind leads to peace. When I go into prayer about a decision and I have to courageously obey God, when I'm asking for the spirit to affect my mind in that prayer time, I'm asking for heavenly perspective, the spirit to affect my mind. That process leads to peace. And what I'm in now is peace. If I had a practice right now, it would not be peaceful. Now is peace. When I decided to go to Atlanta and I stood up in that canoe, courage and peace. It's so beautiful what he gives us. Bobby Connor, once in Atlanta, he came and spoke to our school. And I have never forgotten this. And we have talked in VSR about it. He said, delayed obedience is cloaked rebellion. So he says, reverse that with swift and complete obedience. Ever since I've heard that, I've added that line to my prayer. God, is this completely it? I hear you with this. Am I hearing you right here? Is that completely it? Not because I'm like afraid I'm going to make the wrong decision. Just because I want him so bad. I want his will so bad. Because I know he knows me better than anyone. I want that. Have you ever presented a request to God, got an answer, given it to your mentors, you knew you weren't supposed to do something, they confirmed it, and then you leave that meeting with your mentor and you're going, <laughs> remember, I told you, the Lord has told me to speak on things I've walked through. <laughs> I would get an answer, I knew it was what God wanted, I'd give it to Jess, and she'd say, yep, yeah. and then I'd get out of the meeting, I'd be mad at Jess. 
even though I had it too, but I'd just be like, couldn't you have just heard the one I wanted to hear? Grumbling. If you find yourself grumbling, you potentially are obeying because you want God and your mentors to think you are submitted, or you're afraid of rejection. I dealt with this a couple times. Sometimes I would make a decision and obey because I was afraid of rejection or I was afraid for people to think I wasn't submitted. I tend to be obedient by nature, <laughs> so this was easier for me, but my obedience was rooted in a really unhealthy place of being afraid that I would get in trouble or afraid, not because of my parents, this was just something that happened to me and I dealt with it in Rama. Afraid, afraid, afraid of what people would think of me if I didn't obey what they were saying and what I was feeling, even though that is so stupid. Both of those things, if you're afraid of, if you're afraid of them thinking you're not submitted, whoever your mentor is, or if you're afraid of feeling rejection, they have to be dealt with because that only leads to confusion, blaming, and delay. It didn't do me any good when I knew that I was obeying and I didn't have the right heart behind my obedience. It, it just made me upset. And we could save a lot of time, pick ourselves up, and move on to the next thing. Out of a heart of true submission. So the grumbling test is what I now call it to me, myself, and I. You're failing the grumbling test. <laughs> Get back on track. All right, so here we go. Ways to gain courage to obey the Lord. This is not an inclusive list. Some big ones are not on this list, but it's just the ones we're going to highlight today, okay? So the first one is get around other courageous people that courageously obey the Father. I'm going to go to 2 Kings 2, verse 8. 2 Kings 2, verse 8. Um, Elijah... And Elijah are approaching the Jordan River. And in eight, verse 8 it says, Then Elijah folded his cloak together and struck the water with it. The river divided, and the two of them went across on dry ground. Pretty amazing. <laughs> then it goes on. Elijah gets swept up into heaven, and his cloak falls down. Elijah picks up the cloak. Y'all are familiar with the story. Verse 13, Elijah then approaches the Jordan River. Elijah picked up Elijah's cloak, which had fallen when he had been taken up, and Elisha returned to the bank of the Jordan. He struck the water with Elijah's cloak and cried out, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And then the river divided, and Elisha went across. What happened? Elisha saw Elijah... Walk in, courageous obedience. Then when he came to the river, he had seen it done before. He had seen somebody walk in courageous obedience, so it was easy for him to carry out the exact same thing. Courage affects people who are watching you be courageous. 
It really does. It, it affects them. It affects those around you when you're courageous. So if you're struggling with courage, get around those that don't struggle with it. Get around those that are operating in courageous obedience. Number two, intercede for the bigger picture and your promised land. When you intercede for something, you begin to see it. When you begin to see it, you begin to crave it. And when you crave it, you pursue it. So if you're having problems pursuing your promised land or you're getting knocked down by some potential suffering and you need some creativity, take it to intercession. Now, some people are saying uh, we shouldn't be interceding for ourselves. Intercession is for others. People cannot afford you not walking in your promised land. That is not selfish. For you to intercede for your promised land, that is not selfish. As long as you're out of the heart of, I know that when I walk in, what Trisha Frost talked to us about, I know when I walk in my lane, when I carry out my promise, everyone around me is affected and blessed. So when I intercede for this promise, I know that this is not for selfish gain, but it's for breakthrough for a greater population, for my population that God's called me to. I challenge you to go all the way in your prayer time into the point of interceding for your promised land. We oftentimes spend a lot of time with Jesus soaking, hopefully. Soaking, hearing him, worshiping. Then we'll often spend a lot of time presenting requests, which is great too for other people. God bless Joe, God bless Mary, which is great needed. A lot of us don't go, and we talk in internship about this too all the time, is go all the way into interceding for your promised land in your prayer time. Go all the way in. What that looks like, I'll give you an example. So for me, I'm in, I'm in healthcare. So when I'm interceding, I say, thank you, God, that the truth is being revealed in the healthcare industry. I thank you, Father, that the truth is being revealed in the food industry. I thank you, Father, that your sons and daughters know that they are fearfully and wonderfully made. I thank you, God, that they know the body was created to heal. I thank you, God, for breakthroughs, breakthroughs, breakthroughs. I thank you, God, that there is no cancer in the land anymore. I thank you, Father, that there is breakthrough for neurodegenerative disorders, and on and on and on, whatever you're called to. Get to that point in prayer where you're interceding for that because when you, when you intercede, you see it, then you crave it, then you pursue it. When you, when you crave it, you cannot help but have courageous obedience to go after it. Oh, yes, Jesus. Number three, get over people pleasing. I struggled with this huge Pastor Alex one time at the altar told me to write on my face with pen and walk around for a day. Because I told him, I'm like, I can't get over this perfection thing. And he said, I want you to write on your face with pen and walk around at school. So I did. <laughs> I put it on my nose. <sighs> Overcoming rejection is a key to having courageous obedience. When I came back, can I be honest with you, when I came back from school, the stat, a stat was running through my head that I heard in business seminars and success books. The A's work for the B's. The A students that get A grades work for the B students. The B students work for the C students and the C students own companies. That equation didn't work in my favor. <laughs> I'll just put it that way. So when I came home, 
I literally thought to myself, I was about to open a practice because I was consumed with, I am not going to be a stat. What will my classmates think of me? They've been saying the whole time that the A students. That was playing in my mind when I was making my decision. So in order to have courageous obedience, I had to overcome that fear of rejection. There's a book called Rejection Proof that my mom shared with me the other night. Let me read you the story of the author. I came to the United States with a dream of being the next Bill Gates. But despite early success in the corporate world, my first attempt to pursue my entrepreneurial dream ended in rejection. I was crushed and spired into a, a period of deep self-doubt. But I realized that this fear of rejection was a bigger obstacle than any single rejection would ever be. Thus was born his 100 days of rejection experiment, during which he willfully sought rejection on a daily basis. <laughs> From requesting a lesson in sales from a car salesman to asking a flight attendant if he could make an announcement on the loudspeaker. <laughs> he calls it 100 days of rejection. What Pastor Alex was asking me to do with the pen on my nose was similar. So Jesus started talking to me when I was dealing with that issue of feeling like I was going to be a stat. He said four things. He said, Rhema, to get over this fear of rejection. If you're struggling with this, write this down. Rhema, meditation, tongues, and then these acts of possible rejection and being uncomfortable. So you get the truth in Rhema. You believe the truth. Then you intercede for the truth to take root, and then you actually practice operating in the truth. Rhema meditations, tongues, and acts of possible rejection if you're struggling to overcome rejection, and that was the book Rejection Proof. Bill Johnson says, courage is on the other side of dealing with the fear of man. Courage is on the other side of dealing with the fear of man. Can you imagine if Jesus was afraid of what people would think of him. He suffered bad press and he was perfect. We get all up in arms and we're not perfect. Number four is be vulnerable. Now a lot of times when we hear the word vulnerable, we think it's our ticket to a pity party. Being vulnerable brings you into the presence of someone you trust. It brings you into uh, mentorship. It gives you a game plan. It also reveals any of these stupid things, like what I was dealing about with that stat when I talked it through with somebody and was vulnerable that I was thinking I was a stat. It brings breakthrough. It's not a time to go in and grumble and complain or blame or get down or get depressed or spiral, spiral, spiral with another person that's spiraling. Make sure that you go and be vulnerable with someone that can lift you up and lift you higher, and that you trust. <laughs> Number five, we talked about this already, fall in love with him more and more each day. Someone who feels known trusts. Think about in a marriage. Someone who feels known trusts. 
if you're struggling with the courageous obedience of the Father, remind yourself that he knows you. And let your trust grow from there. Remind yourself that he knows you. I promise you, when you, feel, when you fall in love with him and feel known by him, it becomes way easier to trust. And the whole prayer process is like, yeah, I know I can get to the other side of this because I trust you so much. Just, just tell me. It's so good. So the other day, I was, I dropped my mom off at the dentist. And I was in the car, and I uh, was decorating for Christmas. And guys, you're not going to understand the story at all, but <laughs> ladies. I was decorating for Christmas, and I couldn't find my garland. Okay, I wanted a real live garland, my first house this year, and I wanted it for my railing. So I was calling a bunch of places, and they kept saying that they had this kind of garland in, but I wanted that kind of garland. So I go on my GPS, and I think, oh, well, she's in her dentist appointment. I'm going to look for a greenhouse. Or a garden center. So I plug in the GPS, there's three, okay? So I go to all three. None of them had my garland. I get back in the car, and the Holy Spirit says, and I said to myself, oh, I'm just going to go to a coffee shop and wait till she texts me, so I'm done. And the Holy Spirit says, no, you're not. And I say, what do you mean? <laughs> he said, go, straight. Now, if you know me, I can get lost in a mall. I get lost in parking lots all the time. I could get lost in this church. <laughs> I come out of the mall, and I don't know if I go left or right because I have no idea what way I came from. And I just directionally, my, my dad says, follow, go towards the lake. I have no idea where the lake is. <laughs> go north. I have no idea where north is. If I, didn't have a, if I lived 30 years ago, bad news. Without my GPS, ugh. <laughs> it's not pretty. <laughs> Whoever's driven with me knows this. So I get in the car, and I said, he said, go straight. I'm like, God, I have no clue. I'm in Font Hill, okay? Who even knows where Font Hill is? I'm in Font Hill, and I'm going, and I'm going straight down the road. I'm like, okay, Lord, like, whatever. We'll go straight for a little bit. And then he says, keep going. And then he says, turn right. So I turn right. And then I see a sign for Welland. <laughs> I'm like, okay, Lord, next time I, okay, uh, now, next street, I'm turning around and going back because I remember that I made a left so I can navigate my way back now, okay? He says, no, keep going straight. I said, okay. I keep going straight. I'm driving for 15 minutes and he wouldn't let me turn around. Um, so I'm driving, I'm driving, I'm driving, I'm driving, I'm driving. Then I see Vermeer's greenhouse. <laughs> Didn't show up on my GPS. So I pull in. And I go and I look in the greenery section and there's no garland. Y'all are like, oh. <laughs> there's no garland. So I'm about to get back in my car and God goes, go ask the lady. I'm like, <laughs> so I go ask the lady. I'm like, excuse me, do you have any? I'm not looking for um, Ontario cedar. I'd like BC cedar. She's looking at me like, how do you know that? Uh, <laughs> I want BC cedar and I need this many feet. And she goes, oh yeah, we actually just got it in today. I said, oh my gosh, how many feet do you have? She's like, we have them in rolls of 75. Well, previously I had called every greenhouse in Niagara and the longest one was 25 feet. And it was literally gonna cost me $40 for 25 feet. I get in this greenhouse, she has 70 feet for $40. And what the Lord said to me so clearly is you follow me in the small things that don't matter. And then when the big decisions come, you'll know my voice. 
He's so good. Practice. Practice obeying him in the small things. Practice obeying him in the small things. So the results of courageous obedience. We already talked about the fact that other people see it. And they can hang on to your coattails. But another one is, is that it moves heaven. Your courage moves heaven. When I made the decision to go to Atlanta later in worship here in this church, I stood here in worship and the Lord gave me a picture of angels lining a corridor and I was like this. I had just made the decision to go to Atlanta. I was getting ready to pack my room up. And I saw this picture and the angels were cheering their heads off. And they were clapping and excited and shouting. And I could see myself in a runner stance like I was about to go. And then that picture carried me through my first couple weeks in Atlanta. I saw myself running with tears in my eyes because I miss my family and I want to go home. And why would you make me do this? And I'm running and running and running. And the angels are cheering and cheering and cheering. Because when you're courageously obedient, you move heaven. When you're courageously obedient, you shift atmospheres. Elijah, who is rocking my world lately, Pastor Tina told me to do a study on him, so I did. That's why you're getting all these scriptures about him. (laughs) Elijah says in 1 Kings 18, he says there's a drought in the land and they need rain. Elijah stands there, and you know the story. He says, I hear the sound of a great rain. There's no rain. He sends his servant out seven times. Go look for a cloud. One. Go look for a cloud. Two. Go look for a cloud. Three. You guys are bored of me now. Imagine what the servant was thinking. (laughs) Elijah, there's no cloud. (laughs) Elijah was courageously obedient to the word from the Lord and said to his servant, go out again. Go out again. I know I heard the sound of a great rain. Go out again. So he goes out again. What happens? You guys know the story, but think about this. Think about how courageous obedience literally shifts the earth. It moves atmospheres. It changes things. Seven times Elijah told him to go and look. Finally, the seventh time, the servant returned and said, I saw a little cloud about the size of a man's hand rising from the sea. And then Elijah says, hurry, go prepare. Hurry, the rain will stop you. And soon the sky was black with clouds and heavy wind brought a, the scripture says, terrific rainstorm. The courage of Elijah to be obedient and, call, and, and in a prophetic way say, I hear rain. If he's ever called you to take a prophetic stance and you're like, there is no rain, but okay, there is rain. In your head, you take that prophetic stance and you act so courageously to do that and you put yourself on the line to look stupid. And then God meets you and heaven and earth align and earth manifests from that courage. Lastly, courage attracts the glory of God. Isaiah 60, arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of God is all over you. What is arising? It's 
courage. Arise, shine. His promise. When you arise, when you walk in courage, I will cause you to shine, first of all. Second of all, I'll cause the glory of the Lord to come on you. When you step in courage, you literally manifest the presence of God. And like we said, that affects people. This is why it's not selfish to intercede for your promised land. It's not selfish to cry out for more of God. Now, I say that with the heart of, the, if you're in the heart of, I want to serve Jesus. I want to serve. I want to serve. I want to carry out my purpose because I want to, I want to bring heaven to earth. That's why. Not because you just want a spotlight on you and you want to be all shiny, but it's because you want heaven to manifest on earth. That's why it's not selfish for you to be courageously obedient, for you to go after big things. And we, Liz talks about that. Pastor Liz talks about that in internship all the time. Like going after what your heart is craving going after the things that he's called you to because the world is depending on it. Yes. He gives you what you need. He gives you what you need to be courageous. He also gives you what you need when you're going through that creative suffering. Look for it. Look for it. Look for the help. Sometimes we're like, I'm courageously, I'm sorry, I'm creatively suffering right now. And woe is me. And your eyes are closed to the fact that there's help all around you. This morning I was in the baby room back there, and I was spending some time with the Lord, and I was freezing. Yes. And so I'm back there, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to move. But I didn't want to move because, like, that room is, like, really sweet to be in when you're praying. And so I didn't want to move, but I was freezing. My nose was running because I was so cold. And I was about to leave the room. And literally, I'm about to leave the room, and the Holy Spirit says, look for the space heater. I'm like, yeah, right. It's in that room. There's a space heater. This truly is the greatest church on earth. You cannot go anywhere and not, like, that room has a space heater. Somebody was in there praying and was cold, so there's a space heater in there. So the Holy Spirit is saying to us, just look for what you need. You're creatively suffering, which is like good and necessary, like Pastor Ian talked about, but we need to look around us because he's actually providing what we need. The greatest church on earth has a space heater in the cold rooms. I, like Whatever you need, look around. Look around you. It's probably there. <laughs> okay, last thing. A couple action steps when you hear the Father. Either when you hear him directly or when you get a prophetic word, okay? Both of those are technically prophetic words. You can get a prophetic word directly from the Father, yeah. or you can get one from a trusted leader. So when you get a prophetic word, number one, pause and talk to Jesus about it. The pause part is really important because sometimes you can get the prophetic word and then like run over yourself. If I, um, for example, in school, I got a word 
at Bethel from a trusted leader that I was going to be in healthcare and provide a solution for, it was actually related to the nervous system, which was really cool because I'm a chiropractor. I could have taken that word and just run myself over with it and started like preparing my practice right then, which is why when you get a word, you have to pause, pause, and talk to Jesus about it. When something new in your life happens, you talk to your best friends. Sometimes you can hardly wait to talk to them. You'll call them on the way home when something new happens, like a promotion or something like that, right? You pause and you, and, or you call your best friends on the phone and you talk to them about it. Well, Jesus wants to know too. Yeah. Talk to him about it. Jesus, what do you think about that? Jesus, what about that part? Jesus, this is how that made me feel. What do you think about that feeling? Go through it with him. Secondly, talk to your mentor about it. We've already gone through why. When you tell your mentor the word you got, if they weren't in the room, relay the word with accuracy. Yeah. Don't exaggerate. Guilty. <laughs> How many of us are guilty of exaggerating a bit on the word when we're relaying the message? It's easy to do, especially when you're excited. When you're really excited about the word, it's easy to be like, oh, and he said I'm going to be a millionaire too. <laughs> no, he didn't. He said you were going to be financially successful. Like, you know, that type of thing. Like, get the word with accuracy and then relay it to your mentor. That was number two. Number three, once you've received confirmation from your mentor and from the Lord, confirmed by the inward witness in your heart, if anyone speaks against the word or against your promised land, against where you're going, anything like that. Say somebody that's not following the Lord says you are crazy. Right? People definitely told me to open a practice after I had decided not to. Multiple people told me to open a practice. Multiple people gave me opportunities. And they said I was crazy and they told me I was, a, I was losing I was going to lose so much money and I wouldn't meet my goals and all of these things. When people do that, Pastor Alex last Wednesday, what did he say, guys? <laughs> shake it off. 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 If you've already received your confirmation, shake it off. If you can't shake it, go to your mentor. They'll slap it off you. <laughs> A loving tap. Come on. Let's go. Get it off. You're good. Move on. Doesn't matter. Last thing, when you get a prophetic word or you hear something from the Lord, act, 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 act when he tells you to act. And if the timing is not now that you're going to necessarily execute that word, still act on it in your heart in the form of intercession. Act, act, act so that it can't die. If it really mattered to you, act on it. Chew on it. Act on it. Do something. Set it on a sticky note before your eyes. Do something. Again, if it's not the timing to actually physically see it through, still act on it in your heart. Does that make sense? Still act on it. Yes, Lord. Okay. <laughs> the last thing the Lord wanted me to tell you is, what if you don't? He said those words. What if you don't? I said, what do you mean? 
He's like, well, what if Nike didn't? What if Nike said, running shoes already exist? What if pastors Ian and Tina said, Fort Erie is Fort Dreary. Why would we start a church there? Yeah. <laughs> what if they didn't? What if they didn't? When it comes to courage, what if you don't? What if you don't? And when you go to prayer with the Lord, ask him that. What if I don't? Show me, God. What if I don't? That is going to motivate you to do it. Because there's a land. There's a land that's crying out for rain. And you are the intercessor for that rain in the land. I hear the sound of a great rain. Picture your promised land and say over it, I hear the sound of a great rain. 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 Even when it doesn't look like it, I hear the sound of a great rain. And I know that I am called to stand in the gap and be courageously obedient in the timing of the Lord. Not to be robotic and worry and fear that you're just needing him to tell you what to do and you don't have a choice. Like we said, it's not like that. It's like, God, I know you know me. I know you love me. I know that everything works for my good. I know that there's a good and pleasing and perfect will. I know that you know my heart. I know that you see what I'm going through. I know that you see A and B. And I wanna know, God, what is your perfect will? I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. I just wanna know what's on your heart because I know that what's on your heart is what I need. Search the heart of the Father. Search it, search it, search it out. Search the heart of the Father for the things that pertain to you. Find the rooms in heaven that pertain to you in your prayer time. God, what have you set apart for me? When you see it, you crave it. And when you crave it, you pursue it with courage. In Jesus' name. Tina was praying before service she said the words in prayer let it go and I feel like for some of us like what she was saying before the message tonight that we've let our hearts go cold 
and we've let our passions go cold. And it may be because we want to do the will of God, but we don't know how to hear him, so then we just stop. And we let things fall. And we let things fall off of us when the Lord is saying, keep your passion close and let the fear go. So I feel like today, if you could just stand up, we're going to picture, picture before your feet that divide in the land. Like this piece of land is moving back and this piece of land in front of you is moving forward. And I want you to just close your eyes, lift your hands to heaven, and I just want you to picture yourself jumping over that divide onto the other rock and moving forward with the Lord. I want you to picture letting go of fear. Letting go of fear once and for all. When you jump and leap onto that rock, that rock is moving and moving and moving and moving towards the promise. So Heavenly Father, God, I thank you, God, that you're here, Father. Lord, I thank you that you just touch every heart with courage. God, I thank you that you touch every heart with courage, Father, to go after the things that are on your heart, God. God, I thank you, Father, that you put that desire in us to know your will. I thank you that you put that desire in us to go after and execute your will when it comes to our life, God. So we just prophetically jump over the line, God, over the line, not turning back, Father, not turning back, God, over the line, over the line, over the line, over the line, not turning back, over the line, into the promise, the promise that you're with us, the promise that you're with us, God, the promise that you're moving forward with us, God, the promise that we're not alone a single day of our life, God, the promise that you are already there, the promise that there is there. There is there. We see it, God. We see it, God. We want it, Lord. We want it, Lord. We trust you, God. We trust you, God. We trust you, God. Last thing, just reach up high. I want you to pull down for yourself. Trust. Pull down for yourself. Supernatural trust in God. Pull it down. Bring it close to your heart. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.